Hello, my friend, my warrior. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show, encouraging you to visit my website, www.marymack.info, and pick up your free ebook, 21 Things You Must Know About the Grieving Process. And I encourage you to subscribe and pass this on to anyone who may be in need of assistance. Now back to our episode. Welcome to The Mary Mack Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. Hello, everyone. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. And I am so fortunate to have Lynn Brunette with me today. She's from British Columbia, correct? Correct. (laughs) And right now they're having some beautiful weather, which is wonderful. (laughs) And I am in the process of doing some series for grieving children, adults who lost parents early in life. And this is Death of a Father. And Lynn has graciously agreed to tell us all about her dad, Lucien. Am I correct? Yes. (laughs) And he lost his life, unfortunately, through throat cancer at the age of 53, although it was diagnosed at 50. And so I welcome her today. She is a podcast maven herself. And I'm so grateful to know her. She's helped me at different times during my podcast journey, and I'm so grateful for that. And she's had her own podcast. She's been a consultant. She's had live shows. And so please welcome Lynn, and we'll talk more about her life and her dad, his life, his death, and how she coped with everything today. Thank you, Lynn, for being here. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Tell us how your growing up years with your dad were. Did you live in British Columbia back then? So I was born in Ontario, Canada. And when I was three years old, my dad moved our family out west to British Columbia. And so we did that. He bought a big yellow school bus, took out most of the seats and put in some of our furniture. And (laughs) we had a great trip across Canada. It stopped at a lot of places. I was three years old, and I actually do remember some things about that trip. I have little flashes of memories that do come up. 
And so, you know, driving across the big Rockies and we came here to Vancouver Island, which is just off the coast of British Columbia. So then I grew up here. I've lived in a couple different places in BC, but I've been here the whole time. Yeah. Oh, wow. I remember personally visiting Vancouver Island to Victoria and it was one of my favorite places still is to this day. Yes. I love Victoria. I did live there. I went to college there and lived there for six years. Love it. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Great. And when you got a little older, I think you told me he passed away when you were around 21, just after college. That's right. Yeah. Were you in college then, I would assume, when he was diagnosed? Not yet. I had been accepted. I was moving down to Victoria is about 90 minutes south of where I grew up, which is where I live now in a place called Nanaimo, city called Nanaimo. And so my parents moved me down and he had just been diagnosed at that time. And then I started, I think it was like a summertime or spring he was diagnosed. It's kind of hard to remember. It was so long ago. And yeah, and then I started college. So pretty much for all that time. Yeah, I was in college and he, from the time he'd been diagnosed. Yeah. Were you close enough to go home on weekends and see him? Yes. Yeah, definitely. But you know, at that age, I mean, I was like 18, 19, you know, you're starting your life. You're moving out for the first time. Moving to a different city, you know, it's you're spreading your wings, right? So you're not focused too much. Because look, at the time, I thought my parents are old, (laughs) right? (laughs) I think we all think that. (laughs) Yeah, I thought, oh man, and you know, and now I'm the age. Oh, I'm a year older than my dad was when he passed. Wow, that freaks me out. It freaked me out when I approached fifty because. He was diagnosed at 50. And it's so funny because I remember as I was approaching it, I started getting a scratchy throat. Oh, wow. And so the subconscious mind is amazing, isn't it? Yeah. A lot of things come back. Yeah. It was like, oh my God, oh my God. Like he he was this age. And I thought, oh my God, he was so young. He was so young, so young, too young. Yes. Very, very much too young. Yeah. So... I think I had the belief at the time when he was diagnosed. So he found a lump in his throat, in his neck, shaving. And that's how he discovered it. And then went for a biopsy and they had said that it was cancerous and they couldn't do surgery, which is, I guess, normally a common thing, but they couldn't do surgery because it was around the main artery. So the main artery in his neck was running through it. So they couldn't, they couldn't cut it out. Oh, how horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So it was going to be the usual, right? Chemo, radiation, all of that. Surgery, right? Yeah, surgery. So they couldn't do the surgery. So they were going to, I guess, double down on the chemo, which my dad refused. Brave man. Brave man. He was. Yeah, he was. Well, look, what moved us across the country, like, just on a whim. (laughs) So my, you know, my mom was terrified, I was told. And, but yeah, he was very brave. He just, he was spontaneous and adventurous and yeah, smart, very smart. I get the impression he was the kind of man who was like, I'm going to live until I die. Yeah. And I don't think things held him back. Right. And I think I adopted that somewhat and I, and it was always just a strong belief. And when my dad was diagnosed, my 
thing at the time was, okay, well, but my, my dad's strong. Like the, the thought that any, there was no fear in me that he wasn't going to be around. Like it just, I just believed, okay, well, this is just something he's going to deal with. And, and, but I also had no experience with death in my family. Like I didn't know anyone that had died. I had my, all my grandparents, like I just, I had never experienced that. So it was like, okay, well, he's got this thing. He's going to deal with it and, and carry on up until the very end. That was my belief. Wow. And tell me about his treatment plan. You mentioned that he did a lot of holistic medicine. So yeah, my dad, and I'm so grateful that my dad was very much into yeah holistic alternative treatments. I mean, my dad went to the health food store. People didn't go to the health food store. Yeah. Maybe we had one. Like people <laughs> just didn't do that then. He meditated. He juiced. I remember him coming home with this big, huge juicing machine. He juiced. He grew sprouts. He did coffee enemas. Like, oh, wow. Like this is back in the 80s. Like yes. that just was not, that just wasn't the thing. My dad never smoked. He was always very much an outdoorsy. He was one of 10 kids that grew up on a farm. He was very much wow. about the outdoors. He was very much about eating well. My dad always took supplements. Yeah, he was just a very, he didn't drink a whole lot. He was a very healthy guy and that really helped him when he was going through his treatment. So he was very much into that. He went to a reflexologist, acupuncture, I think. Wow. Um, I remember as a kid, he took me to the chiropractor. Oh, he also went to the chiropractor. I remember him taking <laughs> me to a reflexologist. So I'm grateful because later on I took, you know, herbology training, herbis, herbalist training, iridology, wow. muscle testing. So I've used alternative therapies most of my life as well. I raised my son that way. And so it's definitely, I've taken care of a lot of my own health issues that way. So I'm very lucky to be very healthy and same with my son. He's very, very healthy. And so he decided, my dad had done a lot of reading, he journaled, and he had decided that he was not going to do the usual treatment of chemo and radiation. And, you know, because of that, his doctor dropped him. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. And so our whole family switched doctors. They switched us over to a different doctor, but I didn't live in town anyway. I was living in Victoria when this happened. And so... He decided he wasn't going to do that. He was going to do some different treatments. And I don't remember what he started out doing, but I remember in college, I went to the library and I started doing a little bit of research on alternative treatments. And I found a book that talked about a clinic in, I believe it was Tijuana. Actually, okay. Uh -huh. Just outside of Tijuana. And so I remember going home one weekend and showing it to my dad, did a little bit of research. And now we're going back where we didn't have the internet. Yes. We didn't have yes. the internet to do any research or to check them out. I remember my phone calls. My dad did phone, made phone calls and talked to the doctors there and all the staff there. And so he flew there and started doing treatment there, which was an IV treatment. And mm -hmm. uh, it made huge, huge difference. So what it was, was Laetrile. And Laetrile comes from apricot kernels. Wow, I didn't know that. Yes. And it made a huge difference. But by this time, he had a tumor out his neck that was very, very large oh. because they couldn't operate. So it continued to grow. But it made huge, it made a huge difference initially. The tumor shrunk quite a bit. And so he went quite a few times 
as much as he could. And unfortunately, cost a lot of money to fly down there, stay down there for the treatment. So that was a real difficult thing, using up a lot of money that my parents had in savings and things like that. But I mean, geez, if it's going to save your life, right? That's what it's there for. So he did this treatment for a while. It made it quite a huge difference. And his doctor was like, it was a very interesting thing for the medical community here because they hadn't seen anything like that. Because what do you do? Cut and burn, right? That's yeah. and, and that's unfortunately is still the situation and things like that. And so it made a huge difference, but it was too late by that point. I think if we had found that clinic and he had been able to do that from the beginning, I absolutely believe he'd still be here because they were shocked. He wow. was so strong and his heart was so strong and that carried him for a long time from the time he was diagnosed because usually throat cancer, it can be pretty quick, right? It doesn't. And so very similar to like lung cancer. Yeah. And pancreatic cancer. Yes. Once it starts to go, it's hard. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, not necessarily the best quality of life that it delayed, but it wasn't too bad. Right. And so that definitely made a difference. And I do see that now with some people that I know that have done some advances that do share about that, that that is their work talking about, they say, curing themselves of cancer, the claim they make personally. And so I actually, I use apricot kernel oil quite a bit on my skin because it helps. It helps. I mean, it's there's huge breakthroughs in how that has helped some people. And it definitely made a difference for my dad. So, wow. yeah. So that was an interesting time. And, you know, right up until the end, I just never thought that he would go. The last few months were very difficult. So, of course, the pain by the time, you know, he had died, he had was bandaged. He had a very large tumor at the side of his neck. Often he would have hemorrhages. And at the time as well, there was no hospice here. And mm-hmm. so hospice is such a great, you know, palliative care hospice is such yes. a great, great thing to have for those people. And so the nurses here didn't really know how to care for him, yep. what he needed. And so the last couple of months were quite difficult. I remember our last Father's Day was in the hospital and we had ordered Chinese food and he just really <laughs> wasn't super coherent and he ended up dying on the 4th of July. Oh but my. how, you know, how a lot of them pass away is there's just, there's so much morphine so that they're yes. not in pain. Yes. And that really ends up being what does them in, right? you. Is mm-hmm. it ends up yep. shallow breathing. They're not really awake for a lot of it just to keep them comfortable, right? Yes. And so yes. that's what ended up happening. But I remember being so freaked out and being on so much morphine. I remember one time that he was hallucinating. Oh, wow. And that's that kind of, you know, you're so young. I had no experience with that. And it kind of freaked me out. So that was the first of dealing with that. It was a very surreal experience. So young, right? Yeah. Yeah, I had a lot of deaths early in my life too. And yeah. you just, you never think that you're going to go through that, you know? And when it's somebody so close to you, you're amazed that you're like, why would this happen to me so young? I mean, yeah. are we supposed to, you know, the natural way of life is to have your grandparents die first, right? And usually when they're in their late 80s or 90s, and that's the natural flow of life. But when you lose a parent so young, 
or a sibling, for instance, so young, you know, it's not the natural order and it really does throw you for a loop. (laughs) It does. Yeah. And it's just, you know, and my dad's parents were healthy and lived to be very old. His dad lived to be, he died much later than he did. He lived it well into, I think, 96. Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. And he walked and he had all his marbles and he still <laughs> had hair and he had his teeth and and he smoked a pipe. I could still picture him. You know, he fought in the war. And my dad's mom, I think she died the year before him, but she was 80, you know, wow. mid 80s. And she was a feisty little thing. <laughs> oh. She was a feisty little thing. She was like four feet tall and she still cooked on the old fashioned, you know, fire burning old fashioned stoves. And I remember going to visit at the farm and, you know, 10 siblings and they all lived to be quite old. And it's just, you know, my dad was a faller. So he cut down big trees out here and he had a bad accident a few years before, which they think may have contributed to getting cancer because a trauma to the body okay. can trigger a response in the body. And a lot of times it can be cancer. So he had a tree limb that fell on one of his legs. So his whole leg was in a cast and he had metal plates and pins and rods. And so they figured that may have contributed to that as well. He had worked in some mines back in Ontario when he was young. So that that might have contributed as well. So, I mean, it's hard to say, but things like that can can contribute to that. So, yeah, for him to just go so young, I just can't imagine now being that age. I just think, wow, he still had so much time. So much life to live. It's such an awful, awful, awful disease. Awful disease. Yes, it is. Yeah. And my mom had cancer when I was young, but she had uh, had, had an operation. She had had a hysterectomy and gotten over that. And then when she passed at 80 years old, seven years ago. Wow. Uh, yesterday was actually the seventh anniversary of my mom's passing. Oh, wow. She was 80 and she smoked her whole life. She smoked her whole <laughs> life. She did not take supplements. She had diabetes, but she ended up getting cancer again near the end. She had a few things. She had a heart issue. She had diabetes and she had developed some colon cancer. But, you know, she got to be there when I got married and had my son. And, you know, my dad missed all that. Yeah, that was tough. That was really tough. Who walked you down the aisle? Do you remember? My mom. Oh, how nice. I would have had both my parents, but. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. My brother wasn't there. Otherwise, maybe my brother, but I don't know. My mom deserved to. <laughs> That's great. Right? That's yeah. great. And after the funeral, tell me how things were, how you dealt with life. Well, you know, the first year is always difficult. I remember that funeral was awful. First funeral I'd ever been to in my life. I didn't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. It was very surreal. I went back home to Victoria because I was living there and I'd gotten out of college. I was looking for a job, but my siblings lived here so they could be with my mom. So that was good. You know, the first year was tough. I remember saying, can we just skip Christmas this year? 
Like, I don't even want Christmas. Like, I don't want to have to go through that and what it was going to be like. It was really hard on my mom. And she swore that she would never find anybody as good as my dad again and, and stayed single, which was unfortunate because she was young, right? She was young. And so, but she did. And it's the first of everything, that first year that's tough. Yes. And you, you know, just think about the funny stories. My dad had a very strong, because we're French Canadian. My dad had a very strong French accent and he used to speak what we called Franglais. So half French, half English. And he <laughs> would, it was so funny because my friends would be over and my dad would speak. He'd switch very easily between French and English, like in the same flow of a sentence. <laughs> and to me, it was, it sounded like one language to me, right? My dad always spoke French at home. My parents spoke French together. And my friends would be so like, it was like, they'd catch the English words and then they wouldn't catch the French words. And they'd be like, what did he say? And I'd think, <laughs> I'd be like, well, <laughs> didn't you hear what he said? <laughs> it was so funny. My dad said words funny and we used to tease him about it. But, oh my God, he had such a strong French accent, but it was so great. It was so great because he was so funny and he loved those corny jokes and the corny songs and he was so funny. He was just so funny. And the strong French accent just added to it. He was oh, just, so great. And he loved to laugh. He laughed a lot, but he would laugh quietly. And you knew everybody would say, if he laughed out loud, you know, it was funny. <laughs> right? And he loved those blooper shows. It was the funniest oh. thing ever. He loved those. So. Oh. Yeah, he was fun. He was such a great dad. I had the best dad ever. He was the best. Oh, I'm so glad yeah. to hear it. I sometimes think that my son, that my dad is reincarnated as my son. Ooh, okay. Yeah, there's some things that my son will say or certain mannerisms yeah. that I, I'm like, oh. And, and it brings it right my, back? Yeah, it does. It really does. So I gave him my dad's middle name as my son's middle name. Oh, how nice. And yeah, I just, there's just some certain things. But I remember when I got pregnant, my, my family going, oh, wonderful to be dad and reincarnated. <laughs> if you believe in that, right? But it's too bad that he wasn't alive when my son was born. Because he was, oh, he just, he was the one out playing with the kids all the time. So my nieces and nephews were really lucky. My brother and sister, he was around for what, you know, when they had their kids and he was always playing games and being silly. And he was just such a big kid. So it's too bad, but he watches, he watches. Definitely. Yeah. I feel that they are still with us in spirit you know, that something will occur and you know, it's them. I remember yeah. when my stepdaughter, after she had been murdered many years later would pass. And I had a small little music box and it was sitting on the you know table in the living room and out of the blue, it just starts to play, you know, things like yeah. that, Yeah, you know, or you I knew this other gentleman, he was a pastor and he was one of the nicest, loving, most loving people. And I would always go and talk to him because he understood me when my family never did. <laughs> yeah. And and after he died, I started to see all these doves 
these light gray doves, like on the top of the roof or, you know, just on, you know, the, the pole or the line. And there would be a whole bunch of them. And I, I don't know, I just got that impression. I'd say, Oh, how are you doing? You know, <laughs> even to yeah. this day, when I see a dove, I think of him, I think of Pastor Bob. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever it means to you. Right. Yeah. When my mom passed, it was, and well, my son gets, he finds dimes everywhere. <gasps> oh, I interviewed, I interviewed a gal. I'll have to have you watch it. She lost her son at 29. And ever since he died, she finds dimes all the time. Yeah. And she thoroughly believes that it's Josiah talking to her. Yeah. Well, yeah. And my mom just was so close to my son. He spent so much time with her. And so for her, she said, you know, that 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 was the joy she had in life after my dad passed. Mm-hmm. And she, oh my God, she did uh, everything with him. And she was my only babysitter. I mean, I didn't <laughs> leave my son often, but my mom was there all the time. And she lived for my son. And then after she passed, yeah, he finds he finds other money too, but lots of dimes. Yeah, that for maybe because she used to give him change all the time. But I know that is quite a significant sign for some people. I have a friend too that she's always posting about, see, look, do you see what I see? And she'll have a picture and there's like be a dime or two dimes or that's yeah, great. It's it's crazy. But there's different things at certain times. Whatever I'm thinking of will show up to me since my parents have passed. So yeah, it's very interesting. It's very um I know manifesting is is they gotta it, communicate some way, right? That's they right. Can't. And exactly. I for some people hear, but I don't hear. But whatever the sign, whatever the symbol is that works for us, that's yeah, that's, that's all that matters. Connected. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who's lost a parent at 21? All that you've been through and over the years, what would you say helped you along that journey? Did you journal? I didn't. I didn't do anything like that. You know, I was young. I was just starting my life. So my first job out of college, I was a legal assistant and my boss we got a lot, like, like he said, I'll never forget it. And he just recently passed too. And we stayed friends after I stopped working for him. But he said, we got along like a house on fire, him and I. And he became sort of like that father figure to me. Oh, how nice. Yeah. And so it was really, and then we stayed in touch. We stayed in touch over the years. And he retired to a different city that I ended up moving to and living to for a year and working with for him again for a little bit. But he became like a mentor for me. And I think that was huge. And I think I would recommend that to anybody that loses a parent young. You know, find someone that could be a mentor to you. If you lose a father, you know, a boss, you know, or that is that same sex that could be that mentor to you, that could fill in a little bit. And I've been very lucky to have some amazing bosses, actually, male bosses that were like that for me. And I really appreciate that. Yeah, I've been so lucky. And, you know, my siblings, my family that you could talk about and reminisce about the good times, right? That you talk about those funny stories. And I remember when and my siblings always called him Pa, I called him dad, but they always called him Pa. And 
do you remember when Pa used to, and then we'd laugh and laugh because, you know, it helps to talk about those good times, mm-hmm. those funny stories, to remember them that way. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. It's not going to be easy. You're going to just remember that the first year is going to be hard. The firsts of everything are going to be hard. And, you know, feel the emotions. Don't try to hide them. Don't try to stuff them down. Don't try to stop them. I have a friend that whose dad just passed recently in the beginning of the year that he's having a really hard time. And it's almost like he's hard on himself that he's still having a hard time. And I'm like, but it hasn't been that long. It's been like four months. Like, don't, don't be so hard on yourself. Feel the emotions and go through it and swim in it. And it's going to be awful and it's going to feel awful. But the only way to get over it is to go through it. And you find those things that are going to make you feel better, but talk about them. Don't not talk about that. Your, your parent. Yes. Don't stuff it down. That's the worst thing you can do. Talk about the good times. Talk about you know, you're going to talk about how it's tough. And I sit and I listen. And, and as long as you don't stay stuck, you know, we talk about, and I know you've talked about the different stages of grief that you go through and just don't get stuck too long in one. You know, we go through these times of isolation and sometimes you do need that isolate for a little while. Absolutely. Don't stay there though. Like you have to get out and you have to do things that take your mind off of it. I remember thinking the one thought after my dad passed, I remember thinking, how dare the world go on when my dad has passed away? Don't you know my dad has died? Yes. And everybody's just going on living their lives. Like like, it's like nothing happened. Like nothing happened. Like my dad died. Don't you get it? How dare you? (laughs) I just, yeah, it was just so bizarre. It was much different for me from when my dad died to when my mom died. Okay. Much different for me, much older. I got to have my mom through my life. I didn't feel cheated. Yes. I felt cheated with my dad. Right. So, but I remember thinking that thought like, oh my God, like I'm supposed to just go on living life. And I remember I was much different. I wasn't the carefree, happy, go lucky person that I was. Life got very serious for me, but you do get over it. You do get through it. You learn lessons from it. It is different from when you're young as to oppose when you're older. You have both those perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different for sure. Very surreal. You get some of that too later on. Like when my mom died, it was like, wow, that's kind of weird, but it is very different as a young person. It's just, you know, if you're mad, be mad, just, you know, try not to take it out on other people. (laughs) Exactly. We'll get in trouble from it. (laughs) Yeah. Go, go to one of those, those rooms that you can go to with a sledgehammer and destroy things, like do whatever you need to do. But, you know, talk about the good times. Don't, it's not, their whole life isn't just those final moments when they died. That's just such a small amount of time of their life. Remember all of their life and, and stay connected to their family. And yeah, you got to go through it. God, it sucks, but you know, circle of life, right? Yeah. And in the beginning, especially with your friend, you know, you're in that bubble, you're in that shock, you know, and it's going to take, I mean, that's almost like God's protectiveness around us so that we don't go insane. Yeah. You know, and when we're, when we're ready, that bubble will start to dissipate slowly, you know, and I found, unfortunately, and a lot of people that I've worked with their second year is sometimes worse than their first year. 
because now the reality is here, you know? Yes. Cause I think you spend, you know, the first while is there's people around all the time. Oh yeah. And there's people that are bringing you food and <laughs> you know, yes. it's yes. And so there's people there all the time, but then after a while, people have to get back to their own lives. And I can see that for the first year because it's the first of everything and people remember those things and, you know, and then the second year, it's like, okay, well, it's time to get on with life now. Right. And yeah. so, but you do, you do, and you find ways that make you feel better. And for everybody, it's different and everybody gets over things in a different way and everybody grieves differently. And there is a lot of judgment out there about how people should grieve. And I try and be mindful. For me, I try and be mindful, especially with this friend of mine recently, of what were the things that people said to me that were annoying, right? Yes. And I try and be mindful of like not, but I think it is so subconscious. You don't necessarily. So how are you feeling? And I, I'll catch myself doing that and I'll be like, God, I hated that question. Yeah, like, it's like, what, how do you think I feel? Exactly. Right? But it's just such an automatic, how are you doing today? And I think, oh, Lynn. Like, <laughs> but it's just so, I don't know why, but we just do that, right? I know. And so I try and be a bit more mindful about, you know, what something, what, what good happened today? Like, yeah. what made you smile today? Or what? You yeah. know, but yeah, it's so funny how we do that. And I'm like, oh God. And I said that to my friend. I was like, you know, I may say things. Please know I am trying to be mindful of yeah. not saying stupid things. Like, yeah, yeah. The, you know, what were the things that annoyed me? So if I say it, I'm sorry. Forgive, <laughs> so, forgive me. <laughs> forgive me. Yeah. It's really trying to be mindful here. So, yeah. Wow. It's just um it's just another thing that we just aren't taught, right? And so we're never taught. I wish we would be people. taught young. I wish we would be taught young that you know life does not go on perfectly. I was saying to David the other day, imagine if we got a manual early in life. Okay. You know what we do? Well we do, it's our intuition, it's our gut. Okay. But we're taught it's a good way to look at it. We're taught to ignore it because I think our intuition will drive us into what do we need in this moment of grieving. And we are pulled to certain things to either go to a place or listen to a song. And I think that's so discounted. I think we do have that, but we're just taught to not listen to it as much. But yeah, you're right. So it could be clearly spelled out. Let's open up the book. Wouldn't oh, it look, be nice? Someone dies. <laughs> this is what you do, but it'll yeah, never you. it'll never be available to any of us because there's no recipe you know that you can mix this 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 and it comes out like that and everything's all perfect again it doesn't go that way does it it doesn't but then we have gratefully people like you that can help and that have a platform for people to share because we find our people that we can identify with that have lived it right but i think that we do need to i find you know we want to shield children from death and i think we really need to make it because it is part of life it is and so we don't want to tell children what you know when a pet died and and if i think if we can start at a young age in terms of you know like rufus died but we had so much 
fun with Rufus and he gave us so much comfort. And now he's off to go do something else because children are so matter of fact, they don't put so much on things. So if we can just normalize it, then when they're young, they'd be like, oh yeah. Because when they do talk about death, they are a matter of fact, and they don't get the way adults do and maybe, and they just don't, they just seem to understand, okay, this is part of life. Yes, they do. And, and I think it would probably make it a lot easier for us adults if, you know, we could share that. And so, and just make it a little bit more normal for kids. I mean, I realize that it's, I don't know, grim, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It doesn't. And I always, I always say, and people look at me strange for saying this, but I'm like, where did it say that we were supposed to be completely grief-stricken and sad and mournful and sorrowful like yeah. for the rest of our life like there are people out there who think that it's disrespectful yes. to to not feel pain and suffering and sorrow for the rest of their life because this one person died now i give credence for people who lose children okay because oh. That's, I mean, we lost Angela and it was one of the most devastating things. She was 11 when she was murdered and it did take years, okay, to get to a stability point. But you can't walk around like my Nana would say, because she was Italian, you can't walk around with that black shroud on for the rest of your life you know? True. Yeah. It is. It is interesting people. And like I said, people will judge on how you grieve. Mm -hmm. I have a girlfriend who lost her daughter a few years ago. She was in her twenties and she will matter of factly talk about, you know, her daughter dying. And I mean, she had her moment of grieving it. And then she was like, okay. And so she's better now. Life was very hard for her. And now she's, she's in a better place. She's very matter of fact. She's not what you would normally expect people to be like. Right. And that's why it was very different as well for me when my mom passed. It was a way different experience for me. I was like, well, I had my brief moment and it's like, okay, well, mom's in a better place. Like she lived a long life and and okay, she's gone now. And so I think sometimes people are a little bit surprised when I'm not what they would expect. And at the time, at the time even that it happened, you know, I took care of everything and I just, this is what needed to be done. And people would be like, Oh, are you okay? Like, I'm great. I've got things to do. We're good. We're, we're moving on. Like we've got things to take care of. Like I'm good. I think it really surprised people, but you learn along the way and I've grown so much and you gain a different perspective and yeah, it's very different. But when you're young, yeah, I think it's tough to lose a parent. You know, when you're young, your parents are like your heroes. Mm-hmm. And then when you see them, you know, my dad was strong. My dad was my hero. He was strong. And then you see them become very frail and weak. It's very difficult, right? It's very difficult. They become so thin and cancer is just a brutal thing. Mm-hmm. And then you see this guy who was so strong, so weak. And it's shocking. It's shocking. So I think we need to talk to our kids more about death and we need to find what works. Be just, just listen to your gut and what you need to get through it. Don't listen to what people will tell you because they're going to tell you from their perspective and their experience. Very true. Follow your gut. 
What do you feel like doing right now? Do you want to put on the saddest songs and just cry your eyes out? Then do it. Then do it. That's what you need in that moment. Do you want to go out and have some fun? Don't feel guilty for it. Go out and have some fun. Do you think your loved ones want you to be sad? No, they don't. And I think it's really good to look at, you know, whatever your dad died. I think about what would my dad want me to do? What would my dad say? I remember my first love as a teenager I was heartbroken (laughs) you know I had this period of time that I was devastated my first love and he broke up with me and he broke my heart and I remember after a time my dad was like that's enough now (laughs) you need to get on with it he he came to you and told you that (laughs) yeah that's enough that's enough my dad was such a always positive yeah very much I mean he had his moments for sure but he was like okay get on with it now (laughs) yes and that always stuck with me I think that that always stuck with me yeah and so I have my moments and then it's always well what would my dad say he'd say get on with it yeah and so I think if you can look at it that way as well what would your dad say to you and you'd probably laugh because you'd think about it and then you'd laugh and then you'd get on with it yeah. So my grandmother was my greatest fan and she was exactly like that. She was yeah. like, okay, okay. Everything's fine. You're going to yeah. be fine. Let's yeah. move on. Let's you know, move <laughs> let's move on. Yeah. 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 You're here. You're living. You're living. Like, yeah. Get on with living. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for spending so much time to tell us all about your father and how Mm. much he meant to you and even your mom. Yeah. Best parents ever. That's so great. Not a lot of people can say that. I know. I know. I'm so grateful. I had the best parents ever. My funny dad, this French (laughs) accent. (laughs) Thank you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn, for this time. And I wish you well. And I appreciate so much you coming on with me tonight. Thank oh. you. Well, thank you. Thank you for asking me. This is great. We've known each other for a while. I don't remember how we met, but I'm grateful for what you share, your resource, your platform. And I'm glad we could spend this time together. Thank you. And I want you to give us your, your website. And tell us just a little bit more. So if people want to get in touch with you, they know where to go. Absolutely. Probably the best place is to go to my website. So I am lynnbrunette.com. From there, you can, you know, learn a little bit more about me, what I do. I have been in this space. Gosh, it seems like forever in the podcasting world. I just celebrated 14 year anniversary in that. Wow. I love it. I still love it. And if anybody has any questions, you can email me through my website. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram through my website. I'm always open to any questions, even even about what we talked about here. But yeah, anything about podcasting, just I could talk about it forever. So that's the best place to find me. Great. And I will put all those links down in the show notes so people can connect with you there too. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you again, Lynn. Have a wonderful evening. Talk to you You soon. Bye-bye. Bye. 